Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. I love that song and just the simplicity of saying, uh, Jesus, you are worthy of everything. Um, and help me surrender to you and uh, be unashamed in my love for you. Uh, as we get started today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, and uh, fair warning, this is our last Sunday in the Gospel of Luke, for the time being. Uh, we're going to begin a new sermon series next week about made for more. What is this abundant life that Jesus came to bring us? And I'm really excited for that and um, to dive into that together. Uh, but today we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37, and go through chapter 12, verse uh, 11. And... Um, it's a passage that gets at the infectious and dangerous nature of hypocrisy. And to get at helping us understand what Jesus gets at in this passage, I want to share a short story as we get started. Uh, about a, a few weeks ago now, uh, our family was on vacation, and uh, we had a big family reunion. I went to uh, Oregon and then also Washington State, and uh, we got to go on an inner tube float trip down a river, which was great. Um, and the river was moving pretty well, so the whole time was great, we're just relaxed, and then getting out was all of a sudden, like, panic mode, because, um, we didn't want our children to just, like, go down the river, to go fly away, and, uh, the, the current was really strong and moving, and so we, like, get out, and we're, like, working against the current, and we get out, and we're just kind of in panic mode, and then we realize where we're getting out of the river, there's a bunch of little plants that have three leaves on them. Oh, no. Those are leaves of three. Leaves of B, right? Uh, We got out in a poison oak area. So we get back to the Airbnb, and uh, we make all the kids take a bath. And thankfully, my uh, mom and dad had the, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a special scrub you use if you touch poison oak. So we're, like, scrubbing down the kids because we don't want them to get poison oak. And then even when they were done in the bath, we decided to put our inner tubes in the bath and scrub them down uh, because we didn't want any of those oils remaining. Um, how many of you here have had poison oak, right? Uh, many of you have had that unfortunate experience. And uh, at least for us, like, I, I just hate poison oak, no good. Um, and why did we go to all those lengths to scrub those kids down, make them all take a bath, even scrub the inner tubes down, right? Because even just a little bit of poison oak oil, right, can make your life miserable. And that is what Jesus' point in this passage is about the danger of religious hypocrisy, that just a little bit can cause a lot of damage. And so just like we are like scrubbing things down, on guard against any, any kids itching anything for the next couple days, we need to be on guard against religious hypocrisy. And if you don't understand that term, um, Jesus is going to define it for us. Uh, so here's the main point of today's message, is that we need to be vigilant, on guard, eyes open. We need to be vigilant against religious hypocrisy because it can attack us from within, from within our own hearts, 
or from actually outside of us. This is Jesus' point in the passage we're going to look at. And before we get into the actual text, I just want to kind of give you a broad overview. Uh, it's an interesting story this week because uh, Jesus has been, just been saying some hard things and talking about how your heart needs to be right. And the aftermath of all this, a Pharisee actually invites him over. A Pharisee says, hey, Jesus, come over to my house. And Jesus comes, and in his house, uh, Jesus is not a very good house guest. He actually starts confronting very boldly and even maybe aggressively the religious hypocrisy of some of the Pharisees and scribes. And later after this happens, uh, Jesus is with his disciple. There's another crowd. Uh, he's about to teach them, but before he teaches the crowd, he says, hey, you, my disciples, my followers, you need to be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, against the possibility of them infecting you. You need to be on guard against that. And then right after that, he warns them and saying, and if you are faithful, and if you make sure that that doesn't get in your heart, second problem, then those people who are religious hypocrites are going to attack you and persecute you and make your life hard. And so again, that's why I say the main point is that religious hypocrisy can attack us from within our own hearts or from outside. And Jesus uh, helps the disciples respond to both of those, and he helps us respond to both of those. So I'm going to actually pick things up in chapter 12 because this is kind of the warning, and it gets at the heart of why this is so dangerous. So if you have your Bible and you're following along, you can look in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1, just verses 1 through 3, and then we'll go back and see what happens at this Pharisee's house. It says this, uh, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, to understand this passage, we need to understand uh, two things. We need to understand uh, why Jesus uses the illustration of yeast to get at this, and then also just what hypocrisy is. Uh, so let's talk about what hypocrisy is. Uh, hypocrisy is actually a Greek word that re relates to actors who would wear masks. Uh, when I was in high school, we had this mime come, and he put on this performance, and it was awesome. He did this whole bit where he would, like, with music and stuff, and um, he did this thing called, like, the mask, the mask painter. And, uh, like, he would, you know, put his hand down and... I did that really terribly. But you get the idea. I did this whole thing. It was amazing. I don't think it. That was not amazing. You don't need to talk about it. But again, I mean, that's how uh, actors in this day and age would act. They would put on masks to portray whether it was a villain or a hero, whether they're happy or sad, you put on a mask. And that, that word for actor is Hippocrates. So what does it mean to be a hypocrite? It means to put on a mask. To look one way when something different is going on underneath the surface. And so then religious hypocrisy is when we try to appear and speak and to act more holy than we actually are. And that's a danger, my friends, that it's not just for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, any of us, whether you've been following Jesus for years and decades or you're just exploring all this, any of us can fall prey 
to this. In fact, uh, many people say, give that as one of the reasons why they aren't interested, interested in Christianity, right? There's just so many hypocrites. So many Christians are hypocrites. They say one thing and then they live another way. And so Jesus warns against this, actually. He says, this is a possibility for you as a disciple. You can fall prey to this, but be on your guard. Um, it's like yeast. It can infect you. Uh, so I brought some yeast today. Uh, do you have any kids here? Any kids want to come forward? We're going to talk about yeast for a minute. Real invitation. Come on up. Come on up, guys. Go, go, go. Come on. Or, yeah, there you go. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to give you a packet of yeast. This is for you. There you go. There's another brave soul. <laughs> All right, I want to know how many of you guys have ever baked bread before? You ever baked bread? Ever baked bread? Okay, great. So you know how this works. Um, did you see how the yeast works in the bread? Yep. How much? All right, this is a little packet of yeast. It's like two, a little over two teaspoons of yeast. Not very much. How much bread will this make? You know? Any guesses? Like one slice of bread? <laughs> a couple slices of bread? Maybe? How about two loaves of bread? Yeah. This much yeast mixed into a bunch of flour and some other good stuff. Right? That makes two whole loaves of bread with just this much yeast. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus says in this passage, he says, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their, their hypocrisy, their, the way they act one way, but something else is going on in their heart, that tendency is like yeast. And with yeast, here's what's true. Just a little bit goes a long way. A little bit is all you need for a whole big batch of bread. And Jesus says we need to be careful because just a little bit of looking one way but being a different way in your heart, that can actually go a long way too. And it's not a good thing. Yeast is good, bread is good, but religious hypocrisy is not good. So um, I want this is my gift to you guys. You can go home. Maybe uh, sometime this week you can make some bread or some other time. All right, so thank you for helping me out. Okay. Um, go your seats. All right, so this is what Jesus said. A little bit goes a long way. A tiny bit of hypocrisy goes a long way. Just a tiny bit of poison oak can cause a great deal of pain and damage and discomfort. Just a little bit of yeast is enough to, for a whole batch of bread, and just a little bit of religious hypocrisy can cause a lot of corruption in a disciple's life. So now we're going to go back and look at Jesus' encounter with the religious leaders and the things he specifically calls them out for. And I just want to warn you ahead of time, some of the things he calls them out for are really more issues that they dealt with then that maybe we wouldn't deal with in the same way. Um, but some of them, I think, are very applicable to us. So keep that question in mind. What, what should this do I need to have my ears open to today? So going back now to chapter 11, verses 37. As Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at the table. Interesting note that Jesus is willing to eat with this Pharisee, even though he knows there's some hypocrisy going on. Jesus doesn't deny it. He goes. So Jesus goes in, and he reclines at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that Jesus did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. Now, this is where we start getting distracted, and we're like, Jesus didn't wash his hands? Gross, right? What's going on? 
Um, but in Jesus' day and age, there is not kind of the understanding of germs that we have today. Uh, the washing that they're talking about is not washing your hands with soap and water. It was actually a ritual washing, a ceremony you would do before you ate. And it was to symbolize um, that you weren't needed to cleanse yourself. And Pharisees would do this all the time. Now, it's important to note, this is not something that you can find in the Old Testament. This is one of the additional commands and rules that arose in the intertestamental period. And the Pharisees were very intense about this. Some of them would even not just wash before the meal, but between every single course of every meal. So, like, you finish your appetizer, now ceremonially wash your hands again before you have the next course. And so the Pharisees are shocked that Jesus doesn't do this. And I think he doesn't do this on purpose. Verse 39, but the Lord said to the Pharisees, says, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Didn't he who, make, who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. And goes on, he says, But woe to you, Pharisees! You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. So let's pause here for a minute before we go on to Jesus' other woes against these religious leaders. So first he calls out this tendency in the religious leaders to focus on these external things, and he also focus on the minutia of the law. Right? Um, Many Pharisees would just spend all their time debating, right? Um, you know, the Old Testament law says to tithe. Tithe whatever the Lord gives you. Does that include even garden herbs? Yes, of course it does. So you have a little garden herb. You know, you have a little basil. We have some basil uh, on our sink. And the Pharisees would do this thing. They would really do this. They're like, oh, this month it grew seven leaves. One, two, three, four, five. I got nine for me, one for the Lord. And they would make sure they were doing this because they wanted to follow the law to a T. And Jesus is saying, you guys are so crazy. You're focusing on all this time making sure you're tithing even your herbs in your gardens, but you're missing out on the whole purpose of the law. And when you go back in the Old Testament, it's interesting because what was the point of tithing? Do you know where the tithe would go? to a storehouse to help the poor. So Jesus is saying, look, the whole point of the tithe was to provide for the poor. And you're totally ignoring the poor people around you while you sit there counting your herbs. You see the problem? The Pharisees were focusing on the minutia of the law and missing the whole point. And the whole point was love. Caring for those around them. They're focusing on the minutia of the law and missing the purpose, which is love. And Jesus goes on, he says, Woe to you Pharisees! You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you! You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. Now this last one might be confusing to you or was to me when I first read it. Like, what does it mean to be an unmarked grave? What's the, what's the big deal here? Uh, but remember, go back to first century context. Um, for Jewish people, if you touched an, uh, a dead body, you were unclean until the evening, and you had to do a ritual washing. And so they were always very careful to mark where graves were, because Pharisees thought, if you stepped over on a grave, that's like touching the ground, that's touching the dead body, <laughs> unclean until evening. 
He's saying you guys are like unmarked graves. In other words, the people you come into contact, Pharisees, you're like spreading uncleanness to them. You love greetings in the marketplaces. You love, you want to become famous and for people to know you, and yet your influence on other people is just like the influence of touching an unmarked grave. You're actually causing people to be worse off in their relationship with God. You're pushing people away instead of bringing them towards Him. So the public recognition that the Pharisees were after and looking for actually made the influence that they yielded worse. You're looking for public recognition, you want to impact people, and yet that impact that you're having is causing people to move away from the Lord. And unsurprisingly, one of the experts in the law interrupted this. He's like, um, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us. <laughs> you insult us too, or you insult us also. And you say, oh, I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. Uh, then he said, woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. And it becomes clear that he's not talking about physical, actual burdens. Uh, in verse 52, he says, Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. Uh, both of these woes get at the idea that the experts of the law, their whole job was to interpret, to, to interpret Torah and help people understand how to live it out. And Jesus is saying, the way you're doing that, what you're telling people to do, is like giving them this huge heavy load that you're not willing to help them lift. You're making following the law harder instead of more simple. You're making it more complicated and more convoluted when the heart of the law, love for God and love for neighbor, is right there and has been there all along. You're making what's clear convoluted and you're making the way of God more difficult. And Jesus couldn't have been any different, uh, much more different than this, right? I remember what he said in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you burdened with following all the minutia of the law? I'll give you rest from that. He says, Take my yoke upon you. And for rabbis traveling around teaching, that the yoke was um, their interpretation of Torah and how to live it out in everyday life, their interpretation of the law. So he says, Hey, take my yoke upon you. Take the way I'm telling you to live out God's law, take that upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to get at the heart of the law and to make it clear. And he's challenging these Pharisees and scribes because they're just making things more complicated than they really are and have to be. And they're not helping people actually live it out. Verse 47, it says, woe to you. I just want you to pause. I mean, have you ever been in an awkward dinner or awkward social setting where someone says something that's a little insulting? I mean, you have to know that like everyone's like, this is not what I was expecting when I invited Jesus over. But it goes on. Here's the last one, the last woe. It says, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets. And your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. 
Uh, this is interesting and kind of hard to get at. But basically, I think Jesus is saying two things simultaneously. He, he's saying, your actions show that you are the children of those who killed the prophets. And there are lots of Old Testament prophets that came announcing God's will, and the people rejected them and even killed them. He's saying, like, by your actions, you're showing that you're their children. You're their spiritual descendants as well. You're just carrying on their tradition. Because it's like you are honoring the prophets by building these monuments to them, but you're ignoring the message of the prophets, just like your forefathers did, who ignored their message and ended up killing them. Because of this, wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. This is interesting. Um, in the Hebrew version of the Bible, it has the same exact books of the Bible that we have in our Bibles, um, but they come in a different order. Both start with Genesis, where you find Abel. Um, but in the Hebrew Bible, it ends with actually second, what we call Second Chronicles. And in Second Chronicles, near the end, you find the death of a prophet named Zechariah. And so it seems what Jesus is saying is like all the prophets from the whole Old Testament period, right? From Genesis, Abel, all the way for them to the end of Scripture, <coughs> Zechariah, all of them are going to be responsible. Uh, you'll be held to account in this generation. Now, that doesn't feel very fair to us or to me, but it seems to be that Jesus' generation in which he lived were more accountable. Because the whole scriptures were pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And all the prophets who had come before had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, and there Jesus was. And many of the Pharisees, not all of them, but many of them, rejected him and rejected the message of all these prophets who had come for generations. And so Jesus says, you're going to be held accountable for all this rejection. And, and many scholars that did research, like, what is this accountability that they're going to face? Um, a lot of people think that this has actually happened historically in AD 70, just 40 years later, when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, and they could no longer offer sacrifices there. But that was, in some ways, I mean, that was Rome who did that, but maybe also it was the hand of the Lord behind that, bringing judgment on that generation of religious leaders for rejecting God when he showed up in fulfillment of all these prophecies. This generation will be held responsible, he says. So, this hypocrisy, what is it? They memorialized, built monuments for the very prophets that they ignored. The prophets prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. They're rejecting the Messiah while building prophets to memorialize, I mean, building monuments to, to memorialize these prophets. Hypocrisy, right? Acting one way, but something else is going on underneath. And so here's the question for us to consider. Big picture question, no. But again, hypocrisy is putting on a mask. Uh, does your inner self match your outer self? That's the question for us to consider. Is there some religious hypocrisy in you? And if there is, right, what do you got to do anything and everything possible to get rid of that? <clears throat> now, let me be uh, really, really clear, okay? I, I want to be clear on how I'm not, what I'm not saying to do, okay? You're like, well, there's lust in my heart. So you say just be consistent with that? 
<laughs> Say the opposite. If there's any part of you where you know God wants you to live one way, and you kind of act like you live that way, but in your heart something else is going on, the answer is not go with the wickedness that's in your heart. Uh, the answer is to say, God, help me. God, root out that infection in me, that little bit of yeast of hypocrisy, and cleanse me, and change me, and to seek God's help. That's the application. God, change my heart so that inside matches the outside of how you want me to live. The Christians are supposed to be people who have integrity, and that doesn't simply mean um, how you act when no one's there to see you. It means you are the same person, no matter who you're with. You're the same person on the inside as you are on the outside. Again, Jesus' point. We need to be vigilant against religious hypocrisy because it can attack from within, within our own hearts, or it can attack from outside of us. It can attack from within or without. And so now we're going to switch tracks um, to what Jesus warns his disciples. He says, okay, great. You've uh, been on guard. You're going to get rid of all that yeast of hypocrisy. Great. Uh, you're not done. Here's what happens, what Jesus says in verse 4. And now he's with his disciples, right? He's not talking to the religious leaders anymore. And it does raise the question, what happened after this conversation? How do these religious leaders respond? Did they just chase him out of the house? Did they, like, eat dessert in awkward silence? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. Um, or did some of them repent and change their ways? I don't know. And it's perhaps not recorded because the point or the application is, would, if there's some of that in you, would you repent and change your ways? But now Jesus is with his disciples. He says, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. And after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Right, pause. Who has the authority to throw people into hell after death? The Lord does. Ah. And Jesus encouraging his disciples and challenging them to say, look, you're scared of people's rejection. Would you trade that fear of rejection for the bigger fear of your Father in Heaven, who is the one who's going to judge everything, all the actions in your whole life, as well as your eternity? Trade that smaller fear, Jesus says, for a bigger fear. Fear Him who has authority to throw people into hell and after death. Uh, and I don't think he's saying, like, fear, like, be, like, quavering and, like, oh, I'm so scared I'm going to, you know. Um, but it's this healthy fear of the Lord, this respect for who God is. And driven by that, we realize that, you know what? I am scared of rejection, but that is nowhere near as important as making sure I'm right with God and living the way He wants me to. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And I would respond, not in our day and age, they are not. <laughs> but in his day and age, they were, right? Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yes, right? They're almost worthless. They're so cheap. And yet not one of those sparrows is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head, however many or few they are, however <laughs> colored or gray they are, the hairs of your head are all counted. 
Don't be afraid. You are worth more than most gold. What did you say? You say, God knows. God sees. God knows. And again, it says, who should you be afraid of? Who should you be working to honor? The Lord. Jesus advises his disciples to embrace the fear of the Lord over their fear of human rejection. And he's trying to give them this eternal perspective on what's happening. And so the bad news here is that uh, the same thing can happen in our day. I think religious hypocrisy can attack from within. We need to be on guard against that. And then even when you do that, guess what? You can get attacked from without as well. Attacked from other people, judging you or condemning you. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those. You can hurt your body, but then it stops. It reminds me of um, when our daughter Adelaide, who, who isn't here today, but when she was young and she was learning about the kind of the basic message of Christianity in Sunday school, they were talking a lot about heaven. Um, we had to almost like correct her a little bit because she was like, it's okay if you die because then you're with God. Like, okay, um, yeah, but death isn't good. She's like, yeah, but it's okay because then you're with God. We're like, yes, okay, yes. Yes, but, uh, right? Um, but I do think there is, like, this childlike help to, like, yeah, what can humans do to me? Or what's the worst thing that could happen is something Janelle and I kind of joke about sometimes when we're in somewhat dangerous situations. Uh, what's the worst thing that could happen? You die. And then we're with God. What's the worst thing that could happen in persecution? People mock your beliefs on social media in real life. Kind of ridicule you for how silly you are for believing that there is a God who would interact with this world, for following Jesus, for living the way he calls you to do, when that's so old-fashioned and ridiculous and backwards. What's the worst that could happen, my friends? Let's trade our smaller fears of rejection for a bigger fear. And Jesus says, and I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Confessing Jesus before people leads to being confessed by Jesus in heaven. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. I'm going to go back to that in a moment. So if you're wondering about that, hold on. Jesus concludes by saying this. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will give you the right words in that moment. Sorry, I, I skipped out verse 12, but that's what Jesus goes on to say. So Jesus says, uh, depend on the Holy Spirit to help you respond. And expect rejection. And I don't know why this is. I've been reading the Bible like my whole life, and I know that we should expect persecution, and yet still, when people like mock me or make fun of me, I'm like, oh. <laughs> what's going on? This is weird. And yet the New Testament says, no, it's not. This is normal. And uh, it confronts me. I don't know why I'm still surprised by this, but it shouldn't surprise us. What I encourage you is we are supposed to expect Rejection. We're supposed to expect being mocked or persecuted for what we believe. 
Are you expecting rejection or are you surprised when that comes? He says you should expect that. But not only that, to use that as an opportunity. And when that rejection comes, in that moment, look to the Holy Spirit. Ask for God's help to help you respond wisely and with self-control and even with love. But this is a disturbing verse, and I want to talk about it for a moment before we close today. Uh, Luke 12, 10. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, this is called, people call it different ways, uh, things that the unforgivable sin or the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And um, I know I was very confused about this when I was younger in my faith and saying this, like, I don't want to commit that sin. What sin is that? <laughs> I want to be careful that whatever that is, I don't do it. Um, so what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And I'm just sharing this because I do know that, that some Christians have, have struggled thinking that they have committed this sin and being frightful that now eternity is set and they're going to hell and they're not right with God because they think that they committed this sin. Uh, so what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, you need to remember what the, what the Holy Spirit does. Here's what Jesus said, John 16, 7-8. He tells his disciples, he says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Elsewhere, you can expand on this. But what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's role and job and what he does is he points to Jesus and the salvation that is in Jesus and the truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies, convicts, and directs us towards Jesus. That's what he does. So what is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, the word blasphemy just means to speak against. So if you speak against what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit is directing you towards Jesus and you speak against his direction, if you call the Holy Spirit a liar with what he says about Jesus, that's to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. To call the Holy Spirit a liar with respect to what he says about Jesus. So this is not a, a casual sin or an accidental sin. This is a deliberate and ongoing resistance to what the Holy Spirit is telling you in your heart. The Holy Spirit's telling you in your heart. It's true. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It's true. You need forgiveness. You need God's grace. It's true. The Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of those. And if you go your whole life saying, no, 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 not true, that's to speak against the Holy Spirit. That's to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so quite simply, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to go your whole life saying no to the Holy Spirit's convicting work in your heart. It's to die in a state of unforgiveness and rebellion against God. And so, the truth is that uh, anyone who's worried that they've committed that sin hasn't. Right? If you're really worried, maybe I committed that sin and I want to be faithful to God. If you want to be faithful to God and you found faith in Jesus, you have not committed that sin. It's to die in a state of denying that convicting work in your heart. That's the unforgivable sin. But it does bring up the truth that it's a really big deal 
to go against the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. And we don't want to just be casual about that. And so my encouragement as we get ready to respond today is to think and consider through Jesus' words from 2,000 years ago as he called out religious hypocrisy. And to prayerfully say, Holy Spirit, is there any of that in me? Just a little bit of yeast. Because a little bit of hypocrisy can cause a great damage to your life, and not only that, but your witness to others. And so we want to have soft hearts and attentive hearts. The Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is going on. It's not okay. We want to be quick to say, you're right, God. Cleanse that in me. Forgive me and help me. So as we close in prayer and get ready to respond, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And um, we're going to close in a moment with a song reminding us that Jesus is with us. What do we look at? The, the fact that faithfulness to the ways of Jesus results often in persecution and rejection. I'm just waiting for the Lord. What happened to Jesus, the Son of God who did everything perfectly? Okay. At the end of his life, was he celebrated? Still looks good. He was rejected, Camera. persecuted, crucified, even though he was completely faithful. Jesus goes before us. And Jesus goes with us. And so let's all take comfort in that together. And so Jesus, we thank you today. You are with us. And God, would you please help each of us be attentive to the voice of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to be on guard against any little bit of religious hypocrisy? Any little bit of a tendency to cover up sickness, or greed, or coveting, or lust, or whatever it is that's in our hearts. We kind of go around acting like, no, no, there's nothing wrong, everything's fine. God, would you help us to be honest before you? Would you heal what's broken and, and wrong in our hearts? And would you help us be prepared to respond for other people's rejection, relying on your Holy Spirit for strength and guidance, and what to say and how to love people even in those moments. And when we do all this, remembering that you go before us and you go with us. Thank you for that. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.